What we're doing is we are pursuing, with this series talking about respectable sins, we are pursuing something called sanctification. Remember, justified is a one-time event. It's where God does something legally with you. It's this moment where you come to the cross, where you trust Jesus, where you say, you know what, I am in need of a Savior. This is not, contrary to, to maybe how we viewed it or how we've talked about it um, in the past or in, in, in some, some places where we grew up, this is not a continual process. Justification is not something that happens over and over and over again. Justification is a one-time event. I think we'll see that as, as we get into some of our scripture today. Justification is a one-time event when I come to the cross and I trust Jesus Christ for my salvation and I surrender to Jesus. I repent from my sin, I turn from my sin, and I go towards Jesus. That's called justification, okay? The, the record of debt against me has been canceled. Sanctification is the process that God takes us through that gets us to grow up to who we're supposed to be. And we're always supposed to be growing to be more and more like Jesus. And that's the process of sanctification. We are continually being sanctified. So when you come here and you harbor sin in your life, God is going to hurt you over it. That's not me hurting you. That's not the church hurting you. That's God trying to cut that sin out of your life so that you can grow up to be who he has designed for you to be and that you have said you want to be at this process of justification. I need you to understand how these work together. You are justified, which is a promise. You are coming to the cross and you're saying, you know what? I am turning from my sin. I am trusting Jesus. And God says, okay, then let's do this. And that's why we have to cut sin out of our life. Look, for far too long, we have been comfortable with our sin because there are certain sins that are respectable, certain sins that we kind of feel like everybody shares in, certain sins that we feel like are so common that they can't really be that big of a deal. And we've been talking about this all through the series. We've got this week and one more to go. Um, and this week's is another one of those that I feel like if we're, if we're not careful, right, we just kind of assume that this is a normal thing that we all have to go through. But you know what? The, the reality is that it's not. Um, what we're dealing with today is something about anger and bitterness. I say anger and bitterness, and right off the bat, there are some of you that think, I can stop listening right now. You're like, this is a little bit juvenile. What do we do? I used to be an elementary school counselor. Guess what the number one um, thing that I needed to talk about in like second grade on was? Handling your anger. Controlling your anger. Right? And so there's part of us, when I say we got to talk about anger and bitterness, it feels juvenile. Okay? Because for many of you, you're like, well, I, I, don't, I don't have an anger problem. Look at me. I love you. As your pastor, um, I want good for you. For most of you, who do you think you're kidding? Right? I mean, for some of you, you might really legitimately, a small percentage of you, you might say, you're right, I have no issues with anger, anger has no part in my life, and I would say, you know what, good, you're right, that's fine, but for most of you, 
Anger has a part of your life. And here's the problem, though. This is what we do. This is how we make it respectable. We decide that we've got our anger under control. And because we have our anger under control, that it's okay. But here, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Well, let me tell you this. When I was a counselor, when I was doing private counseling, I had a client came in because he needed to work on his anger. He was an EAP client, so his, his work sent him to me, right? Because his work said, look, you are going to get fired because you can't handle your temper, you can't handle your anger. Before we fire you, we're going to try to help you out. So they referred him to me for counseling. We met one time. This guy had anger issues. Young man about my age uh, at the time would have been about 30, 32, something like that. And, and, and so we went over his problem. We went over his dilemma. We went over his emotional reaction when things didn't go his well. And this dude had been poisoned by anger. So we made a treatment plan. We, we, it, was, it was first visit. We, we got all the background. We made a treatment plan. We made a plan to move ahead. We were supposed to meet the next week. Never met with him again, okay? Because that week, um, actually not far from where we lived in the, in the, the Jewel Osco parking lot, you don't care, um, somebody cut him off. And so we picked a fight with a guy bigger and stronger than he was. And he got hit and he fell awkwardly and hit his head on the cement and died shortly thereafter. But here's what we do. We start thinking, Matt, I don't have an anger problem like that. I've got my anger under control. I've never picked a fight because I've been angry, at least not in the parking lot of the Jewel Osco place. It was also a hungry hobo and a Dollar General. Details are important, I guess. but we think we don't have that issue. You know, that, that's how we process this anger. Is I don't have that issue. I've got my anger under control. I'm not punching walls or throwing dishes. Or if I'm punching walls and throwing dishes, I'm not punching my kids or my spouse. Okay? Um, or maybe I'm just screaming, but I'm not taking it too far. Or whatever the case is. See, we put grades on it and we say, well, because it's not worse, it's not existent. And I'm going to tell you that that's just not true. In fact, here's uh, the, the American Association of Christian Counselors estimates. Uh, I, did you know there is such a thing? There is. If you are in need of counseling, may I recommend to you that a secular counselor may be good? I was a secular counselor when I did counseling. And I was pretty good at my job. <laughs> But where a secular counselor may be good for you, Christian, if you want counseling, you ought to be receiving Christian counseling. And let me also be clear, that's not a counselor who is a Christian. That is a specific set. It's a specific skill set. Christian counseling is a specific thing. And unfortunately, here in Vinton, that means you're going to have to go to Cedar Rapids. Keys to Living is there, uh, also in Waterloo. But I'd recommend the travel. It's worth it if that's something you need. That's a side note. But the American Association of Christian Counselors estimates that at least 50% of their clients, at least on some level, have at the root of the problems that cause them to come to counseling, anger. 
And these are Christians now. These are Christians because they're choosing to go to licensed Christian counselors. And so at least half of those that are choosing to go there, at the root of their problem is unresolved anger. And listen to me, I'm going to tell you one more time. Anger poisons the well. It just does. Okay? And so what we need to figure out is, is how do we cut this respectable sin out of our life? And it's not new to us. Anger isn't a new thing. Sometimes we think we have it worse off than other people have ever had it. We just invent new ways to do things that have always been done, but anger is an issue always. Solomon wrote these in his Proverbs, his book of wisdom, okay, for his children and for the nation of Israel that God has decided that is important enough for us to have in our, our holy Bible. Um, Proverbs twenty nine twenty two just simply says, an angry person starts fights. Okay, well, that's not, we got that, right? We knew that. Um, and a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. You struggle with your temper? You struggle with anger? Listen to me. You, it, it's not just a bad habit. It's not just something that you've got to try to control. It's all kinds of sin. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four goes even a step further and says, don't even bother being friends with angry people. Don't associate with them. Why? <laughs> because it always goes somewhere bad. I mean, kids especially, listen to this now. If you've got buddies at school, okay, if you've got people that are always angry, nothing good happens there. There is nothing good on the other side of that because that kind of anger will always lead to trouble. It just does, right? And again, that's not just, well, gosh, Matt's just being weird again. No, 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 I mean, it's the Bible it says, don't associate right, with angry people. Don't be friends with them, quick-tempered people. It's all kinds of sin happens there, okay? So we're going to jump into this, uh, but, but one thing I, I need you to know, again, just one quick reminder uh, that will be a theme that carries this throughout is that you getting your anger under control, it's an admirable goal, but it is woefully incomplete. It is a poor substitute for dealing with it appropriately, some of you work very hard to keep your anger under control, and I give you kudos. I give you props. That's a thing, right? Excellent. I give you, I'm going to say it again because now I feel cool, props for trying to keep your anger under control. But it is a sore, poor, ultimately incomplete substitute for dealing with your anger in a way that God would have us deal with our anger. Think, think um, the Incredible Hulk. How many of you saw like the original Avengers movie? How many of you loved like the original Avengers movie? Okay, right? Because it, it was awesome. And so you got Mark Ruffalo, who's the Incredible Hulk, and right, like, like the whole movie, I mean, we know he's the Hulk, but we've never seen him like Hulk out. And you're kind of frustrated at some point because you're like, dude, you're supposed to be big and green and nasty kind of a superhero is, no. But anyway, so here's what happens. I was going to say, what kind of superhero looks like Mark Ruffalo? And Carrie was going to answer that, and that was going to make me uncomfortable. So um, we're just going to move on. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Uh, but, but here's what happened. We get to a point where, where, where he says, do you know what my secret is? Like somebody says to him, hey, you know what, Dr. Banner, you might want to get angry now. This might be a good time for you to get angry because it's time for this big fight. And what he says is, says you, know, you know what, 
My secret is, I'm always angry. I'm always angry, right? And that's how we are. When we try to keep it under control, it's always there. It's always in us. It's always part of who we are, and it always poisons things. And keeping it under control is nice, but it's a poor substitute for dealing. So we're going to get into this. We're going to see how this works. We'll start with this, um, this question. Where does it come from? Where does your anger come from? And I know, I think this is like uh, five out of six weeks now in this series that we've started talking about where things happen, and we've started in Genesis, but we're going to do it again. Where does anger come from? It comes from sin. Look at this. This is part of the uh, consequence that God gives the woman because she ate the fruit um, and just, you know, I mean, he gives consequences to, to Eve. He gives consequences to Adam uh, because sin has now entered the world. Uh, what was perfect is no longer perfect. This is a very real thing that's happened where we've gone from perfection to now we've got brokenness. The world is broken. And so here's what God says to Eve. He, he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. Anybody that's been there, thanks Eve. That's awesome. Uh, that's not God being hard to get along with. That's a consequence of sin in the world. It is what it is. But here's the part I want us to focus on. And you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you. Now, we're not going to get into any gender things right now. We're not going to deal with that here. But here's what I need you to know about this. That what God is saying there is that from now on, because of sin, there is going to be this very real relational tension in the world. What used to be free and easy is now going to be hard. Where relationships used to be in this perfect unity and oneness and harmony, now all of a sudden there's going to be discontent and discord and disconnection and it's going to be broken. It's not what it was supposed to be. And we see that happen just in the very next chapter as the story of scripture continues. We get to Genesis chapter 4. Let me read for you verses 1 through 8 about Cain and Abel. You know the story, I'm sure. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Okay, so don't get caught up in, in some of the... Like, I've had discussions with people that are like, well, obviously God accepted Abel's offering because it was a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. Um, and God didn't accept Cain's offering because it was... First of all, I don't agree with that. What I read is that, that Cain brought some of his first fruit, some of his crop. Uh, the word for some there means... Meh. Some. Abel brought the best that he had to offer, and he gave it to God. So I'm not sure that it's the type of sacrifice that, that is important here as much as it's the um, intention of the sacrifice that happens here. Okay, but don't get hung up there. That's not what we're talking about. What happens here is that um, all of a sudden Cain is dejected. He's angry and dejected because God accepted his brother, and God did not accept 
him, and so God answers. Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So one day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. We see that since the beginning, since sin entered the world, there is this relational hurt and trauma, anger that happens. And anger unchecked always leads to something awesome. And here, here's what you need to know is that anger and hurt go together. Anger and hurt go together. And you know what it is? It's, it's, we feel this. When you've really been hurt, it, it's track this now. What you feel like is you feel like something that was supposed to be yours is now gone. You feel like something that you were supposed to have, something that you either earned or something that was due you or, or something that it was taken from you. And it hurts. That's what happened to Cain. Cain brought his sacrifice. He felt like God should have accepted him just like he accepted his brother. And so he got hurt. Now, listen, I'm not saying that it's something that was actually due you. I mean, there are sometimes we've been angry and we are unreasonably angry. It doesn't make sense. You know why that happens? Listen, folks, that happens because we are drama. We are drama. We love drama. We thrive on drama. You know I'm right. The only reason that anyone ever would listen to Taylor Swift <laughs> is because you love drama. Think about it. What is every song that she's ever written all about? Somebody broke up with her again. A friend stabbed her in the back. Something isn't right. She'll get even. There is now 10... Listen, we get it, right? She's got relational issues. We love drama. The problem is, here's the deal. When we love drama... If you guys really love Taylor Swift, I'm sorry. Be bold. Who's been to a Taylor Swift concert? Okay. Did you walk away feeling relationally whole? I doubt it, right? Because you're like, man, men are bad and best friends stab you in the back. We'll talk later. Here's the deal. Where was I going? It was somewhere important. Yeah, here's what it is. We love drama. We thrive on drama. There are some of you in here, this is heart check time for you. Some of you worship chaos. And it feeling right, things being the way they should, you can't stand that. Some of you are constantly, listen to me, this is a hard truth, hear this. Some of you are constantly looking to be offended. Some of you are constantly looking for ways to be offended. When that's you, it ruins things. It leads to anger and bitterness and it poisons things. And anger and hurt always go together. That's why my drama and my looking to be offended, my looking for ways that people have let me down or hurt me, that always goes with anger because they're connected. 
And for, for Cain, it was, it was this, God didn't accept me like he accepted my brother. I'm hurt. I should have been. It's, Cain, it, it's Abel's fault. Abel took it from me. That's not realistic, but for some of you, you've got very real things, though. I mean, for some of you, it's, it's very real. For some of you, it's, it's cancer. Cancer took my husband. Took my kid. Infidelity took my family. Took my marriage. Alcohol took my father. Abuse. It stole my innocence. I mean, we have these things that we wrestle with, and they're real, okay? And anger and hurt always go together, and, and the problem with it is, is that it poisons. See, some of you think, some of you think that you can keep your anger um, tied up in, in this nifty little box, the problem is you can't keep your anger tied up in this nifty little box because it just, it doesn't work. Eventually it bleeds into everything else. See, that's what Paul tells us here in Ephesians 4, 26, 27. Here's what he says. He says, don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You see, Paul is teaching us something pretty instructive here. And what Paul is telling you is that anger ultimately will jack up your life. Anger is not something simple that you can deal with. See, we get this weird thing. It's like, well, I'm angry at, at Bill, so I'm going to just be angry at Bill. And I'm going to pour all of my venom out on Bill. And then I'm going to treat my wife and children wonderfully. I'm going to have all of this good stuff here at church. Uh, um, there's going to be no problems at work or my other relationships because it's all pointed at Bill. The problem is, Scripture says that's nonsense. It says when you sin by letting your anger control you, when you don't deal with it, that it actually gives the devil an in into your life. And I don't know what you assume about the devil, but here's what I'll tell you. Perhaps there's a series to be had later. We've been flirting with the idea of a series on, on, on what exactly is spiritual warfare and how, who exactly is Satan and some of those things. But here's what you just know this for now. The devil is real. Okay? He's not a concept. Evil is not just this idea. Satan is real. The devil is real. And he is not stupid. He is not unwise to your struggles. The Bible calls him a roaring lion looking for someone to consume. Now, I don't know about you, but if there is a roaring lion looking for someone to consume, I would probably not like to hang out outside. I am not a smart man by any stretch of the imagination, but I got that figured out. But here's what this says. This is, says that when you allow anger to just percolate in your life, in your heart, that that's like going hanging out with the hungry lion. There's only trouble there. Nothing good happens there. 
so here's what he says. He says, the devil is real. And when he says a foothold to the devil, you know, uh, it's interesting. Vince and I were doing a little word conversation about this and doing a little study about this during the week. When you think foothold, you think mountain climbing, right? You think finding a place as you climb a mountain where you can, you can get a steady foothold and you can then start to work your way. And, and, and when you're secure, you can, you can set your anchor and you can move on to the next level. And that's a fine way to think of it, except it's not. It's not exactly what Paul means here. When he says foothold, do you know what he thinks? He, he's writing that word and he means beachhead. Right? So, so stop thinking, well, it gives me one little place to put my foot on, on the cliff as I try to climb up precariously. He means when you let anger run amok in your life, that what you're doing is you're allowing the devil a beachhead in your life. You're allowing him to put a stronghold together. It's this place where he digs in and you have to fight to get him out. Not a strong breeze will knock him off the cliff, but you have got to fight. You've got a war. You've got a battle to get him out of your heart when you allow him to create a beachhead. This is a big deal. This isn't something minor. See, we said, well, I can just keep it focused in this one little area. No. You can't. It will bleed into everything, and you know it. You know that it will. Oh my goodness, that was like a lot. You know it will. It turns into bitterness. It does things with you. Listen, that's why things that should irritate you this much, if there are things that should irritate you this much, and it wrecks your day, you, you got an anger issue. I mean, something that should be a minor irritant and it wrecks your day. That's, that's an anger problem. When your kids love them, when they do something that's a little bit annoying, a little bit annoying, but you end up blowing up at them, it's because anger has worked its way. It's poison. It's worked its way in, into your heart, into your life. Your spouse Listen to me, your spouse, your significant other, you know, one of the things that Carrie and I have talked about many, many times in our marriage is, um, and this is a problem that, that I've had to struggle with a little bit, is if, if I could look at one situation and I could, in one situation, I could give the benefit of the doubt and it's good, and in the other, I could assume the worst. If you're always assuming the worst of people, I mean, honestly, if you're always assuming the worst of people, you got an anger issue. It's where they come from. Okay? They can't stay isolated because once Satan secures that beachhead, man, Christian, he wants to jack with you. He wants to mess you up. He wants to hurt you. Remember we talked justification and sanctification? You are justified when you come to the cross. Satan would like to keep that from happening because he wants your soul. He doesn't want you to follow the God of the universe. He wants you to rot in hell. That's Satan's goal in your life. But once you come to the cross, once you have this moment where you are now justified before God, where God has forgiven and forgotten your sins, what Satan wants to do with you then is he wants to stunt and stall and stop and ruin your sanctification. 
the more you work to become like Christ, the more Satan will try to throw you off track. Because when you are not growing to be like Christ, you are no threat to the enemy. When you are not pushing ahead to make a difference for the kingdom, Satan is not interested in you. You have to get that, right? Because you're not causing him grief. He's busy trying to make sure that other people don't enter into this life-saving relationship with the God of the universe through the person of Jesus Christ. And if you aren't threatening to bring people to the cross, he is not interested in what you're doing. Why would he care? See, but when you chase sanctification, when you try to cut sin out of your life, Satan tries to to screw with you. He tries to hurt you. He tries to get you turned around. He tries to mess with you. And anger, Paul tells us, anger allows him a wide berth to operate in our lives. It ruins our ministry. It's just, it's what it looks like. And so you ask, okay, you're saying, okay, Matt, what do we do with it? Well, good question. Uh, we've been talking about this through the series. We've been saying, well, here's where it comes from, and here's why it's sin, and here's why we need to get rid of it. And then we talk about, well, here's what we do to get rid of it. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, uh, we're going to look at these three verses quickly. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Okay, so just a little side note here. The Holy Spirit, Christian, You're following Jesus, you're trying to grow, you're trusting Jesus for your salvation, and you're trying to turn from your sin. That makes you Christian. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's that's it. Not only does the Holy Spirit live in you, but you remember how we said when you are justified that God has canceled the record of debts against you, securing you, okay, So track this now. What happens when God cancels the records of debts against you is you are then sealed for the day of redemption. That's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. This is why I'll always get a little uncomfortable when people talk about a second filling of the Holy Spirit. It's why I always get a little bit uncomfortable when people talk about you losing your salvation, right? Because what I'm reading there is that when you come to the cross, the the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. It's a down payment on that day. Okay? But, so here's, here's the big idea here. Here's what you have to understand. Listen, when you choose the devil over God, that grieves God living in you. Duh. It's not rocket science. Right? When you choose anger, even though you know better, and some of you fight for your right to be angry, or to party. Is it weird that I almost started singing? Whatever, moving on. Some of you fight for your right to be angry. You're like, I know I'm supposed to forgive. I know I'm not supposed to be angry, but I'm just done with that. I'm just finished with that. Understand what you're doing there. When you do that, you are actively choosing the devil over God. There is no way to sugarcoat that. There is no way to make that better for you. There is no way to decide that that's not a big deal because you are saying to God, I know what what it is to choose you here. I know what your call is on my life, but I don't want to. I pick Satan. 
I mean, think about that. How devastating is it for you when you were a kid and they were choosing up kickball sides? Right? I mean, come on. And your best friend is a captain, and you're like, finally, I won't get picked last. But then he chooses somebody else instead of you? Never happened to me. A lot. It hurts. Well, this is the God of the universe. And you are choosing the enemy of your soul over him. That grieves the Holy Spirit. We continue. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Okay, now some of you are going to say, well, Matt, that's too simplistic. No, it's not. Just listen. How do you fight anger and bitterness in your life? Okay, I'm going to blow your mind. Get rid of it! But Matt, how do I fight anger in my... Get rid of anger. Okay, fine. But how do I fight bitterness that's dug down and that's made roots? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. That's what he says. And, and you're right to say, okay, well, but, but how do I get rid of it? How do I fight it? It's hard to fight. What do I do? Like I wake up in the morning, I say, okay, today I'm going to get rid of it. And then it creeps back in again. Well, here's, here's where Paul says, look, it's this simple. You want to get rid of it? Here's what you do. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, Matt, it can't be that simple. Yeah, it can. If you can't figure out how to cut anger out of your life, Paul gives you the script right here. Stop being angry and instead be kind be tender-hearted, give grace, pour mercy, just like God in Christ forgave you, guess what? You do that for other people. We go back to Amy Redlinger talking on the screen. Some of you, listen to me, some of you, because you love drama, you've been holding on to anger and you've been holding on to bitterness and you're so upset and you're like, but you don't know, Matt, like, like the thing I have to forgive is this big and the thing they have to forgive is this big. So you don't even know what it's like. Maybe I don't. I can promise you Amy Redlinger does. I mean, her daughter was shot and killed. I promise you. She knows. But you hear her. She's saying, but look, it's a weight, and it crushes you, and it doesn't hurt them. It hurts you, and it's not what God wants for you, and so you have to pray, and you have to get rid of it. And here's how you get rid of it. You're like, man, I really, okay, fine. I want to get rid of my anger. Stop acting angry. You're like, okay, Matt, but that won't make me feel any differently. No, it won't necessarily right away in the moment make you feel any differently. But God isn't saying change the way you feel about this. What he's saying is stop doing that, start doing this. This is action. Stop acting angry and bitter and upset and start acting on purpose, even though it's hard, stop acting with kindness, with tender-hearted love and grace to one another. Get the big idea here. Maybe. There it is. Oh, that's the one. Paul's not telling you to feel differently. He's telling you to act differently. 
For anybody that's tried this, you know as well as I do that your feelings will eventually catch up. That's the way that it works. When you choose to forgive, you are making a behavioral decision to forgive. You will wake up in the morning and you will remember all of the pain and hurt and all of the frustration and all of the bitterness and all of the loss and all of it. All of it will come flooding back to you, but you're remembering, I made a decision to forgive. And then you're praying, God, help me. Help me act like this is true. Help me today choose to act in a way and help my feelings to catch up with my decision. And this is the process. There's four things we're going to talk very quickly that you can do. One is figure out who you're angry with. And if you're saying to me, I'm not angry, okay, then, then just ask these supplemental questions like, like, who do I wish harm on? Who do I love it when they fail? Who do I win arguments in my shower against? Who took something from me? Step two, figure out what they owe you. Understand the difference, not what they did to you, but figure out what they owe you. Do they owe you a family? Do they owe you a spouse? Do they owe you your child? Your virginity? Your innocence? Your raise that you didn't get? Your insurance coverage that... that ended up causing you so much grief and trouble? What do they owe you? Who is it that I'm angry with? What am I owed? And then here's the deal. Decide to cancel the debt. You make a decision in your heart that they no longer owe you. You make the decision. This is between you and God. Make the decision that they don't owe you any longer and let it be done. And then this is the really hard part. Dismiss the case. Because you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to be angry again. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to be upset. Or you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to be fine and then come lunchtime, something is going to happen that's going to remind you this is where you have to work hard to dismiss the case. You have to work hard to let it go. See, because this is, this is a small picture of what God's done for us, right? God knew that we had sin in our life, and God hates sin. And God determined what we owed him, and what we owed him was our lives, our eternal lives. And so God decided through the cross when we come to him to cancel that debt. And then he has dismissed the case. When I screw up today, God isn't saying, oh man, I never should have forgiven you. You are in so much trouble. No, no, no. God's dismissed the case. God doesn't allow it to come back up. And this is where we have to battle in our hearts. And the way you do this, you heard Amy say it in her testimony. The way you do this is to pray. And yeah, you pray for yourself and you ask God to do this, but listen, and, and some of you have tried this before, there is something so ridiculously powerful when you pray good things for the person that hurts you. When you pray God's blessing 
on the person that owes you. No restrictions, no caveats, just straightforward God's blessing on the person that owes you. I promise you something will happen in your heart. I heard it from Amy. When she prayed God's blessing on the kids that were involved in the death of her daughter, her heart to them changed. And it helped her feelings catch up with her decision. Ask the elders to come forward. We're going to take communion this morning, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to do this a little different. Um, normally, when we take communion, we just we start, we come up, you take communion, then we go sit down, and, and it's all good. But, but this morning, what I'm going to ask us to do is I'm going to ask us to take a minute of reflection. We, we're told in, in Corinthians that we shouldn't come to the communion table without first examining our heart. Okay? And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to examine your heart. And if, if you decide you're not ready for communion today, then just skip it today. If there's business you need to do with God and you need to make some decisions to forgive, okay, great, do that and then come and celebrate communion with that understanding. But here's what I want to caution you not to do. Do not know, yep, I should forgive, but I refuse to forgive. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to let anger and bitterness keep working in my life and come take communion anyway. It's that last part of uh, Ephesians 4 simply said, you do this because God has done this for you. And we spit on his sacrifice when we, when we accept it and when we enjoy it and when we revel in it and when we celebrate it while refusing, while refusing to do what he asks us to do. Okay, and so here's what I want you to do. We're gonna, there's a song on the video. It's called Chain Breaker. It's a little different than we normally do, do during communion. I'm going to give you a few minutes to, to, to just sit and pray and listen and do whatever. And then um, at that time, I will start dismissing us for communion. When communion is over, feel free to be dismissed. I just ask you to do so quietly so those that haven't done it yet can, can continue to, um, to, to be prepared as they take part in that. But I want to encourage you, okay? This is not something to do lightly. This is something to do when we've made the decision to seek reconciliation. And, and can, I, can I tell you something real quick? Forgiveness doesn't equal forgetting. You choose to forgive people does not mean you choose to go right back into the same relationship you've always had. And that's okay. Perhaps God will work you back to that and restore what that was. Perhaps not. Perhaps that won't be healthy or right. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting and pretending like it never happened. Forgiveness means I canceled the record of debts against you. Okay, so let's pray for our communion um, and thank God for the sacrifice that he made for us, and let's reflect on that as we get ready to move forward. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the way that you have forgiven us. The whole point of the cross, the whole point of communion is that you have done this great work for us. 
Father, we break the bread, and as we, as we break the bread and we, and we eat the bread, we're reminded of how your body was broken for us as a once-for-all sacrifice on the cross to pay for the mistakes that we've made, to cover our sin, to forgive us so that you could cancel the, the record of wrongs against us. It is no small thing. And Father, we thank you for the, the drink, the juice that reminds us of your blood that is this new covenant that now that we're in that says that we have forgiveness from you and that we have the Holy Spirit now that lives inside of us that reminds us and that seals us for the day of redemption and that brings us forward. God, we just, we recognize what communion is about. It's about honoring you and celebrating your sacrifice and, and mourning in the brokenness with you and then rejoicing in this new life, new covenant that we have. God, again, it is no small thing. And so as we go to communion today, I pray that you'll help us to do so with clean hands and clean hearts. Father, we love you and we want to continue to grow in sanctification. We want to continue to be more and more like your son. And so do the work in our hearts that you have to do. Amen.